Welcome back to another episode of the Paranormal Rabbit Hole. Boys and girls, we got a great episode for you today, Little Mysteries of the Deep. Um, I found these while I was doing some uh, other research, and I typed in something wrong and pulled something up, and I was like, you know what? I want to talk about this next, because I was going to talk about Bigfoot again, um, because I had done some research for some stories, but um, I fell upon these and I kind of want to continue because I love when I can do the deep dive research about these stories and, uh, you know, it, it just makes it a whole lot better when I get to tell you all the, the good things that I've learned. And also because this was pretty interesting. I mean, this was pretty fascinating and it's kind of a creepy eerie thing in the first place to begin with. So, um, and there's multiple stories here. It's not just one, um, these are just kind of tied together through water fish they're fish um and that's it <laughs> you know uh but this really cool really great episode but before we do that preamble really quick we're going to do this preamble super fast so we can get through it get through all the annoying stuff cut through the fat quickly and that is by going to instagram and going to your search bar and typing in the paranormal rabbit hole podcast all one word just type it in there. Give us a follow. Hit that follow button. Hit that follow button. Follow us. Then also subscribe and like us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. Go ahead. Give us a five star. Leave us a review. It really helps us move up the charts. And that's all that these podcast playing things care about is you giving us a good review because they go oh well then that means this podcast is actually pretty damn good because we know you like it because we see all you guys here we see all these listeners hundreds of you just tuning in every week and i appreciate it i really do because for me i only thought i'd have like two so thank you <laughs> um it makes a guy feel special so Go ahead, scroll down to the bottom, hit that five-star, leave a review if you're on Apple. I think Spotify now has reviews, so all the better, all the better. It's good luck to us. Now, with that being said, we can dive in, pun intended, to tonight's episode. So tonight's episode, I wanted to talk about something that I found that kind of fascinated me. And two of these stories kind of take place in a a bathosphere. So now, for those of you who don't know, which I'm sure there are a very limited amount of people who don't know what a bathosphere is, but you know what? There's a lot of people that don't look up all the cool things that we used to do before we had submarines and all that neat stuff there for you know, personal scientific use. Um, a bathosphere is a big metal ball full of oxygen that they would drop down into the ocean and just kind of a, it's a two man submarine that they would just basically drop from a ship, a ship. It was attached to a ship. It was pumped air through, you know, to, from the ship. So it could only go to a certain point and then drop it and hit the ocean floor or just kind of hang there. Um, which they would do now. I'm going to draw a line to, the Titan sub. Now, if you guys remember the Titan sub, it's one of those where it was a travesty. A Logitech controller piloted that thing. It was a fart tube that got sealed in by a bolted by being bolted in. 
So is this, ba- this bathysphere. These bathyspheres were the same way. They would bolt them into them. So there was no getting out. If you if you ran into trouble, they'd have to bring you up. And that could be hours, depending on you know how quickly they could bring you up. So think about that first. Second, these things would go down there with gigantic, you know, fish like you know, sharks and whale sharks and all these other things that could do some, you know, significant damage and that line is cut and you drop to the bottom of the ocean, fills up, and you die and you're stuck there. All the horrible things. So you can imagine all those things. They're doing all this research, seeing all these whales and sharks and fish and crabs and crustaceans. But what else did they see? What else could you see down there? You know, the ocean is a vast place and we've barely even scratched the surface, scratchy, scratchy, scratch, scratch, of exploring it. I mean, we've explored maybe a small percentile of the ocean. It's crazy. It's crazy. But what if, while you're down there in this little two-man fart ball, what if... And, and I mean, let's be honest, that's terrifying enough as it is. Probably zero lighting except for on the exterior so that you can see what was swimming by your window. Um, good God, man. And it, it, to, to be honest, something's swimming by your window and you don't know the size of it? No, pull me up. I want to come up now, please. Thank you. Toot sweet. Let's go super quick. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about three different stories that kind of take place underwater. Two of them are tied. They're all tied together because they're underwater. Two of them are tied together because of a bathysphere. Uh, now, something very cool that I've learned is that there are, a form, there are forms of bathyspheres still in use currently. And it's really fascinating. So what they do is they're on these big barges. And they've got this huge machine. And it has this little housing unit on it that's hollow. It's, you know, I mean, it's on the, there's no bottom to it. So what they do is they drop that into the water and they extend this huge tunnel arm down. And then they attach that to the bottom of the ocean. And then make it press down super hard so that they can suck all of the water and oxygen out and leave a dry ocean bed inside this empty air-filled chamber. And so these scientists will walk down the tube into that chamber, and they can walk around and touch the ocean floor without the water being there, without being impeded, you know, impeded by water. So it's basically like parting the Red Sea and then walking out and picking up a seashell from the middle of the ocean. That's what these new diving bells slash bathyspheres can do. They can just drop down and let you touch the floor of the ocean or the floor of a lake and unimpeded by water. There'll be no water. It'll all be sucked out. That's pretty freaking cool. Um, so moving on, the the story that drew me to this, to doing this show, was uh, B- BB's Abys- Abyssal Fish. That's a hard name to say. <laughs> um, but it's it's an abyssal fish, plural. So this wasn't just one, this was multiple, multiple fish. So we'll start off with the, uh, the, the fish that he witnessed. So 
the Abyssal Rainbow Gar, uh, Five Line Constellation Fish, the Pallid Sailfin, uh, the street, three, I'm sorry, the Three Starred Angler Fish, and then last but not least, the most fascinating find that he found uh, is known as Bathosphera Intacta, which means uh, untouched by the bathosphere. So, essentially, what happened is William Beebe went down um, in the North Atlantic Ocean off of uh, a Bermuda island. Went down, uh, and it was on, uh, just to kind of let you know the time period, 1932. So, you know, let that let that sink in. This was the 1930s. This is around the time of, uh, you know, heading into World War II. So, this guy is going down into the middle of the ocean in, in Bermuda, warm water, uh, in a bathysphere. A ball that has oxygen pumped to it, hooked to a cable, with a light on the outside so you can see what swims past. Uh, so he went down and this was this was 5 miles off of uh the Bermuda coast so uh, none such island um think about this for a second so your job as a scientist is to study fish and the only way that you can do it because there aren't a lot of personal submarines yet the only way you can get down there is by jumping inside of a giant metal ball that you have to be ratcheted in like i said before we all know what happened with the titan sub and and think about this you're getting lowered into the depths deep into the depths Um, if I'm not mistaken, 20, 25 was what he ended up going at, like the deepest where he saw like some of these amazing fish, uh, that, that just, to me, you start to lose light. To me, that just screws with me a little bit. You know, I mean, I I could never go on a submarine, let alone a a, a a cruise ship, a carnival cruise. You'll never catch me on a carnival cruise out in the middle of the ocean. Not happening. Sorry. But the fact that he's down there in this small tube and he's going to see some strange fish, let alone the other two fish that we're going to talk about. It's a scary thought, folks, being down in the depths, this deep, this dark, and then something unusual happened. And you know, I kind of get that, uh, what is it, the uh, Carousel of Animals, that song, that that piano tune that plays uh, the, in the Carnival of Animals, it's like uh, the Aquarium of the Odd. It, that that comes to mind of what this guy probably heard in his head while being down there. But let's go over the fish. So we're going to go over the fish. 
Um, so first we're going to talk about the five line constellation fish. This was something that he saw out of this window. So he went down, uh, in between realistically from my notes, 15 to 25,000 feet, 15 to 25,000 feet. I think from my notes, no, I'm sorry. (laughs) 1500 to 2,500 feet there. That's it. He went down far. He got down there. <laughs> so no, but he did go far to, you know, 2,515 to 2,500 feet, not thousand, hundred, not thousand, um, is how far down he went to see this. So he, he you got to think he's been, you know, researching, seeing all these different fish that he's probably already seen before. But as he gets to a certain depth, uh, if, if I remember they really started to the 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 bathysphere fish the uh, the abyssal fish that he saw um nobody has seen these since to put on a record uh but the what he describes he describes as seeing in beginning around uh, 1900 feet so the five line constellation fish is one of those fish um he says that it's a a fish with a large continuous vertical fin uh, a large eye a medium mouth small pectoral fins and uh brownish skin and it he said it was just five lines of photophores uh light light receptors um that kind of just looked like a constellation thus getting the name five line constellation fish. So this thing had a pattern of stars that kind of went across it, not stars, but of bioluminescent light, uh, pale yellow, uh, with, with blue around it. And they, he, he said they would go swim by the beam a few times and just fire off these photo fours. So apparently, uh, it, it was in a school of these fish. So there were large schools of these fish passing by. So there's a population there. Very fascinating. Very fascinating, though. Uh, but then he saw the pelated cell fin. Um, and he, he actually writes, finally, without seeing how it got there, a large fish swung suspended half in, half out of the beam. It was poised with only a slow waving of fins. Uh, I saw it was something wholly unknown, but all this time I sat absorbing the fish from head to tail through the wordless, short, circulating sight. Uh, Basically, he said that this thing had... uh, It was two feet long, first of all. So, nice size, decent size. You could eat that two feet long. So not, not huge, not like, you know, a gigantic monster size fish, uh, like, um, one of the fish we're going to talk about, but pretty decent, pretty decent. That's a good fish. Decent fish. Um, you can tell I'm a fish, but that is a decent fish, decent fish, but, uh, just that, that it, its body had a large, large sail. It was almost tailless because the fin was so big. Um, the, the bigger fins stretched out above its body, uh, 
Um, and like the fish, it was just kind of a colorless, pale, uh, kind of a palish gray green. What olive? Olive? Uh, green? Kind of like a, a a green olive, I guess it would be the color. Just kind of a gross, wettish green color. Uh, but the, he said that the the weird thing was that it was it had no back fin. It was just these two big sails. Uh, so that's pretty freaking awesome. First of all, uh, it's yeah, just these two big fins on its back. Um, I'll try and find some of these pictures for you guys. But uh, the the pelated sailfish is pretty pretty wicked. Um, so next we're gonna move on to. Um, the rainbow, rainbow gar, the abyssal rainbow gar. So I'll, I'll let you guys know this, one of my favorite fish to see, and, and we have quite a few of them. I've fished for them and seen them dodging my bait, um, and, and not giving chase, thankfully, because they'll tear up your line. We have gar, uh, all over Tennessee, alligator gar and alligator gar are huge. They look, they're these nasty looking guys, but they are good for the waterways. They're a natural predator. Uh, and an ancient fish that really helped the ecosystem. A lot of people don't like them because they'll tear up their line and they'll mess up their, but look, that fish has a place more so than any fisherman ever will in our ecosystem. So, you know, you gotta be nice, but, um, this gar is, is kind of an unusual, strange thing because it kind of looks like a dart. It, it it's a weird kind of like a pointy little arrow. Um, it, it looks, I mean, how to describe it? It looks like somebody, it looks like somebody put a bird face onto a eel body. Essentially. That's what, that's what the, the, the abyssal rainbow gar looks like. It looks like a bird beak, like, you know, I can't describe it. It's such a weird looking creature. Um, but yeah, it's just so it looks, I'll try, like I said, I'm going to try to get pictures of these, but these things are so whacked out. They're strange. They look like a duck or a bird, like a, a crane. They look like a crane that was attached to an eel body. Um, and last but not least, we got the three-starred anglerfish. So the anglerfish, just like its name, uh, well, not last but not least, last one I saved was, in, it was pretty freaking cool. But the three-starred anglerfish, it's essentially an anglerfish, but with these three kind of pronged lights on its head. So essentially, if you can imagine an anglerfish with, a, with three lights on its head, and they kind of have one in the front and then two in the back. It's very weird, but, um, you know, if you can imagine just an angler fish with three lights on his head, instead of one, you've got it. You've got it nailed down. Now, uh, the last one I want to talk about on this, um, adventure that this guy went on William Beebe is, the large, like these were at 21,000, 2100 feet. I'm sorry. Uh, 
large, these large giant dragonfish uh, known as Bathysphera intacta or untouchable Bathysphere fish. So they were, uh, well, let me just, just to, to read it. Uh, at 21,000 feet, I had the most exciting experience of the whole dive. Two fish went very slowly by, not more than six or eight feet away, each of which was at least six feet in length. So very large fish, very big fish. Not the largest fish. I mean, heck, there are sturgeons that are 12 feet long that are alive today. So, But this is still just as fascinating. Large fish. Uh, they were generally the shape of a large barracuda, but with shorter jaws, which were kept wide open all the time I watched them. Uh, they had a single line of strong lights, pale bluish down the body. And the eyes were very large, even for the length of the fish. But the best characteristic, which kind of, kind of was, uh, it's kind of a, a, a thing for these dragonfish, but this one had a, a different type of body. So there were two long tentacles hanging down from the body with bioluminescence hanging off of them. One in the front underneath the chin and one in the back underneath um, one of the fins. So it has two bioluminescent tentacles that hang down off of its body. What would be the point of that? Uh, other than maybe mating or, you know, it's meant for another one to find it. Maybe the, I don't, I don't know, very strange that it had two tentacles, but that's, that's, those are the, the abyssal fish that William Beebe saw in his expedition in the 1930s. Now, being down that far, I mean, with with the ocean ocean unexplored as it is these creatures are very possible and it, and it's no wonder we haven't seen these again because you know there's not a lot of time spent kind of researching the ocean every single second of the day you would have to have something down there every single second of the day to catch any of these creatures even even once really uh, I mean, look how long it took us to realistically catch a giant squid on camera. We had no proof that they existed other than carcasses and that had floated ashore that were found in whale bodies, but yet we found those carcasses. So, you know, obviously it's real. But these things, they, they have a, a place in reality because we can't prove that they don't exist. And this guy went down in this bathysphere. He could have seen these things. Um, and it is fascinating. It is. It's really, it's really cool. So, uh, but moving on, we're going to talk about another fish. Uh, this was now this fish was seen in a survey, uh, in a diving bell by a British diver, Mike Cleary around, and this was around 1992. Now he described his encounter, uh, to a, a Michael Smith, who is a, uh, I can't think of the word, a journalist. Uh, and this happened, uh, again, off of the Pacific coast of Japan, uh, the southeastern coast of Japan. So he went down to the depths of at least uh, 1,700 feet and said that as he was looking out, 
he could see that something was swimming alongside of him or around him. Something was kind of going around um, the diving bell that they were in. Now, he describes this fish as being an elongated fish with a large kind of strange tail, uh, elongated tail. Its head was like a seahorse with cow-like eyes and barracuda teeth. Uh, The way it opened its mouth was kind of strange, but it had two distinct webbed limb-like fins. Like he said that the thing about this creature, um, because when you see it, it kind of looks like a dragon, honestly. Um, It was 25 feet long. Uh, It undulated. No neck. Really, really crazy because the limbs on this thing are nuts. But this guy was out there in a, in a, an, I'm sorry, diving bell. And this is actually the diving bell that I'm talking about, was talking about earlier in the show. This is that type of diving bell where they go and they survey the ocean floor because the, the diving bell that I saw while researching this was actually Japanese. So it's probably the same company, but they did, they, they, they were, you know, reviewing the ocean floor and see something swimming outside and they go to the windows and they're like, Oh shit, what is that? And see this fish. So, again, unless we're down there 100% of the time, every single day, um, we're not going to see these things. Um, So we got one last one I want to cover very quickly, and then we'll kind of just wrap it up. Um, And this is the Deep Star 4000. So the Deep Star 4000 is a a submersible that was used for research in uh, 1966. and they did a lot of research off the coast of California. So this was off the Pacific Ocean of California. Um, now, the pilot who uh, w- was driving at that time was Joe Thompson. Um, he, he had done a, a kind of a lot of piloting, very credible man. Um, and the research team had uh, a marine biologist, Gene Lanford, and w- one other person. I cannot remember his name. Um, but there was one other person on, uh, that, that trip down. So, uh, they were going through the San Diego trough alongside, um, some equipment that they were taking down. They were kind of helping put, uh, cable down on the seafloor for instruments for research. And, you know, doing this, they were probably just doing their job like they've always done. But this time, Thompson looked through the window and found himself staring through a giant, looking at a giant fisheye. Um, he then saw the creature or the fish and... The uh, the researcher, Gene Lanford, said that they had seen the fish too, but only for a few seconds. But what they said was that this thing was huge. 
So the drawings make it out to be pretty large, but it was between 25 to 40 feet long, as described by Thompson. Uh, they said it was enormous, uh, bigger than the sub, which was, I think, 18 feet. So think about that. Um, <laughs> uh, but the pair were able to judge that the fish fish's length was between 25 to 40 feet, but it was only, you know, six feet across. So not gigantic, not great that it's that big, but Thompson said that it was a uh, rounded kind of like a grouper like tail fin. So the, the tail was kind of a fat fan like tail. Uh, but they said it didn't, look like a shark it didn't look like you know any kind of grouper or anything like that they said it kind of looked more like um uh oh god the uh, coelacanth coelacanth it kind of looked like that just kind of very big now they did say that it kind of looked like it had scales. It was large scales. So that's pretty interesting because if it's got large scales, that means it's kind of like a bony fish. Um, now, a lot of people think that it was a sleeper shark, that that's what they saw and they were just, you know, not paying attention, didn't know any better. Uh, but Thompson's like, nope, that's, that's definitely not what we saw. So um, that being said, it's 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 an amazing thing. We've we've covered this in several different episodes and it's always the same. The ocean is huge. Okay? It it just is. I mean, we haven't even explored all of it. Heck, we haven't even explored all of the land that we have. Uh there are several portions of the Congole Congolese jungle that just have been unexplored. I mean, heck, there's a dinosaur out there. We've talked about that on this podcast. Um, but realistically, we don't have ways of exploring the ocean every single second of the day. We don't have ways of being there for every single moment. So these animals could be down there. These giant fish, these bathysphere and tactica, these strange creatures that we see off of the Japanese Pacific coast that look kind of like a dragon. These things could be out there. We would never know why, because we're not in the ocean every second of the day. We don't breathe uh, we don't separate the oxygen from the water and breathe underwater. So we can't be there to see these things happen. We can't be there to see these fish that might be there. And to me, it's most fascinating because like the bathysphere fish, he went down to 1,500 to 2,500 feet and saw these strange creatures. Now me, I'd be hyperventilating and hiding and not wanting to even go near a window and telling the guys, hey, pull me up, pull me up, pull me up, pull me up. You just got down there. I know what I'm saying, um, you know. But it is, it's one of those where I would be freaking out, but these people were just chilling out, doing their research and saw these amazing fish. Now, has anyone seen them since? No, that does not mean that they're not out there. That doesn't mean that they don't exist, but it's not like we're looking the same way that we used to. Like I'm sure... That bathysphere is a lot quieter than a submarine to those fish. I'm sure that that bathysphere, you know, while probably having a bright light and scaring most of them away, drew some fish in that may or may not have been interested in the light. 
but you've got these bathyspheres. Then you've got the the diving bell, the where they were doing the research on the bottom of the lake and or the bottom of the ocean in Japan, and they see this strange, elongated, dragon-looking creature with weird, webbed foot-like appendages. They go in our submarines and they see these gigantic fish while they're trying to, you know, put down instrumentation for research. And they see a gigantic fish that looks like something from the dinosaur age, from the paleolithic age. I don't know, but it's, and then they're not really seen again, maybe because that fish is avoiding that area because it saw a large submarine and thought, Oh shit, there's another large fish. It looks intimidating. I'm going to leave. Never know. Or we're just not looking at the right place at the right time to see that same fish just a few miles down the coast. Because they're not going to stay in the same place all day, every day. But, I mean, with the bathysphere, with Deep Star 4000, with, with, with you know, Cleary's fish... All of these things can be well hidden for a long time and not show any signs until the right person comes into view. That being said, I wouldn't do it. I would freak out, and I'm positive that I would not be happy being in a bathysphere. So that being, with that all being said, again, with that being said, um, I think that's a good place to wrap up this show because, quite frankly... You guys know how I feel about underwater stuff. There's a high possibility, and look, we we haven't even seen all the ocean yet. So, you know, who's to say? Who's to say a megalodon's not out there and we just haven't seen it? Stranger things have happened. Both that, boys and girls. I bid you a good night. That is the end of the show. And don't go into any bathyspheres. We have submarines. And even if you have a submarine, don't do it. Stay stay out of the water. I mean, don't stay out of the water, but stay out of submarines. Because, you know, the Titanic thing. Anyways, boys and girls, that's it. Thank you. And thank you for going down this paranormal rabbit hole with me. We appreciate you listening. Also, rate and review the show. Don't forget. And tell your friends, word of mouth is the best advertisement for this show. We love having new viewers. This content is evergreen. So I hope you enjoyed it. Have a good night, boys and girls. Good night.